0: The Incomparable, number 295, April 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm Jason Snell. We have convened a, uh, a panel at the last moment because today, yes, we received a uh, an official teaser trailer for a new Star Wars movie. And the public demanded that we talk about it. We've got lots of other episodes about lots of other subjects in the uh, incomparable uh, wings getting ready for their close-up. But no, in this episode, we're going to talk about a trailer for Star Wars Rogue One. Sorry, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Joining me to talk about this trailer, possibly frame by frame, who knows, are John Syracuse. hello.
1: There's not that many frames, so I mean, I feel like we have to address each one in turn.
0: Sure, uh, and we will do so. Yes, and Dan Warren, hello, coming in, coming to us live from another. So the when we did the trailer analysis of the, I think the second teaser of the Force Awakens, Dan was on the West Coast traveling, and he is that again. And, I'm on a uh, mi-
2: I'm on a mission. I can't talk about it.
0: And Serenity Caldwell was coming back from uh, from uh, a roller derby. Uh, practice and called from the car. Well, we're trying to reach her in the car, but we have been unsuccessful as of yet. So we're going to go ahead. Perhaps she will join us later. Perhaps she won't. But, uh, so rogue one, a star Wars story. We got, we got some, uh, we got some stuff here. Any, any opening statements, any opening thoughts about this? This is, uh, this is, we gotta, we gotta go whole hog here, right? This is the first, uh, First thing since what the Ewok adventure, the Star Wars holiday special. This is a the the uh the animated uh, Star Wars Clone Wars movie. This is this feels like though putting all those aside, this is the first like real Star Wars movie that is not in the Star Wars saga.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's also the first standalone Star Wars movie, really. I mean, you can kind of count, you know, A New Hope in that because, you know, there was unclear whether or not there were going to be more movies when they first made it. But at the same time, it was also always kind of designed to be an episode in a larger story. Whereas this, I got to feel like, you know, aside from maybe overlapping sets and like settings and stuff like that, I I don't think we're going to see anything of these characters again, probably. Right. Like this seems like a pretty self-contained story.
1: So I shouldn't get my hopes up for Rogue two and Rogue three. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well i mean eventually we've got a rogue leader we've got rogue two is is wedge
1: i think they used all those titles for the video games already
2: <laughs> <laughs> we got a veritable rogues gallery john
1: yeah we can get a squadron who knows how many rogues
2: we can get here i mean the sequel I, to this I, I, is I actually like, rouge one
1: I, I feel like the pressure is off uh off of everybody like for this movie <laughs> i feel like it's off of the people making the movie because i mean i guess there's a little bit of pressure because, like like you said dan like that that, oh, I may I have to be the first one to make a movie that's not one of the Star Wars movies, as in this big, long, continuing story that's been going on for all our lives. But on the other hand, uh, like we said, I think when we originally talked about the Disney deal, if you make a couple of these and they're so-so or aren't great or they're a couple of stinkers because they are standalone and because they're not part of the saga, like that's what we want. You want to see people stretching out and doing interesting uh, new thing so I, I was much more relaxed about this like they did the publicity shot I'd forgot that this trailer was even coming out until a couple days before and so I'm just like you know I, I don't I don't feel like the weight of the world on my shoulders like with the force awakens you're like oh please please don't mess this up please <laughs> this is just like I'm I'm ready to be pleasantly surprised and I don't have a lot of like trepidation going in
0: you know, is how much of that is because of the Force Awakens, and how much of that is just because this <laughs> yeah. isn't connected to the overall sort of Star Wars story? It helps that the Force Awakens shows that the
1: people who now own the franchise know what the heck they're doing. That really, that really does help. Uh, but I, I still think just having them be independent in this way, like I'm, I'm excited about the uh, the possibility of variety because the saga, the saga is what the saga is. Uh, you know, the whole epic story of Star Wars, but it's constraining in a way too, and so. I just I just like to think about all the different kinds of stories they can tell with a Star Wars sized budget, hoping that the tentpole movies will keep people interested in the franchise enough that even if they do a weird one, this doesn't look like a weird one. But even If they do a weird one, that people will go to it because they're like, oh, I just saw the, you know, episode eight last year and it was awesome. And they're doing this other movie and it has a Star Wars brand and let's go for it. I don't know what happens after nine, um, but for now, uh, I'm I'm excited about the possibilities.
2: Well, I mean, there's also the the element of like sort of the premise of one of the things that we've always loved about this as a franchise is that it's supposed to be this vast universe. And yet we've only really seen little tiny slices of it uh, over the course of, you know, seven movies now. And so the fact that we have all these other realms to uh, experiment in and explore is like, well, you know, those were always there in some way, but we never really got a chance because we were so focused on this one main plot thread, um, which certainly had galactic implications. But at the same time, we're like, what about all those other people? Like, there are there are billions upon billions of other people in this, in this galaxy, right? Like, some of them surely have interesting stories to tell, and they may interleave with our characters or not. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that drew people a lot to the expanded universe too during the era where there were no official star wars movies was exploring all these other different aspects of the galaxy
1: yeah they're not straying too far to begin with but this one obviously is we're all about the the death star and right before a new hope you know so this is kind of tied in but and and i i think that's fine especially like you you know you start from the the heart of the saga and, and branch outward but the the nice thing about having like you know, uh, surely there are other stories, you know, we saw that we see the big story, but surely the other stories that the other stories aren't even necessarily less important. Like, it's the type of thing where, uh, yeah, we were following our, our heroes and our main characters, uh, but if you had followed any small group of people, you would have seen that their victories and defeats were, you know, the, part of the, the same struggle. So in this movie, the whole thing is, you know, getting the plans for the Death Star or whatever if they hadn't gotten those plans no new hope no whole saga like every piece of it has to fit together you know and who's to say what's more important or less important was it more important that luke you know did the trench run uh no trench run without these plans but and is because luke is not in this movie is this movie less important and so that's that's just concentrating you know still around the saga but as you branch outward any movie is like within the universe it's The most important thing that happens in the lives of the people you see in the movie, for the most part. Um, And that can make a compelling movie, even if, you know, the entire galaxy is not at stake. And this one, the the entire galaxy actually happens to be at stake. But I think it's fine to have movies where it's not – the whole galaxy isn't at stake, but it's a smaller scale type of thing.
2: Well, and it's interesting, too, you bring that up because because this is so closely linked with the stories that we already know and and love so much – you know, one might argue, well, some of the suspense is gone. We know the Death Star plans are eventually acquired, right? Like that—that that is the thing that otherwise, like you said, those rest of those movies would not have happened. Um, but it seems like they're drawing a compelling enough story about these characters that we haven't met and about, um, you know, the things that we haven't seen to draw us in uh, so that there are still some interesting aspects to that story. Like we know what the maybe central thrust of this is, but we don't necessarily know all the details or who the players are, you know, and that's that's something I I think it's especially interesting to tread on this territory that has been covered in the expanded universe um, and clearly to throw out a bunch of that stuff, which is, you know, as we all knew going in when the Disney acquisition happened, like, you know, the EU was not long for this world. Uh, And so presenting that as sort of like, you know, they've converted that into legends and it's like, well, they may acknowledge or borrow some stuff from it, but they may also just equally decide to toss everything. Um, you know, so being able to say like, ah, well, you know, there are many legends or stories about how the Death Star plans were acquired, but here's sort of the canonical version, I think is kind of a cool thing that that you can do now is like, you, you don't have to necessarily wipe those things out. Yes, there's only one way it really happened, but because this galaxy is so large, you know, I think especially when you look at Force Awakens and really realize the scope of, you know, these people did not know Jedi exist because, you know, for the last half a century, there's only been one. (laughs) <laughs> sort of half Jedi and it was a thing that probably did not cross paths with any of them in their entire life. So of course it's more like a myth. So, you know, having this sort of mythological structure in place where you can say like, Oh, there's all these stories about things that have happened before. Um, you know, I think gives them a lot of freedom that, that you don't necessarily get in a lot of other frameworks.
0: We've been talking about this as a, uh, as a standalone movie, um, which is interesting because it's not, it's not quite that right. It, it It's, it's a standalone movie in the sense that, um, That it's uh, uh, going to tell a story and that at the end the story will be over. But it is not a standalone movie in the sense that it is taking place inside of or in parallel with or slightly before the original Star Wars. So I'm curious what you guys think about that, the idea of going back and I don't expect that there will be a Forrest Gump-like appearance where Luke runs across and, and <laughs> our characters are in the background, although I wouldn't put it past him. But, you know, they could have Darth Vader in this movie. They could have the Emperor in this movie. There are things that they could do with, and, and they do have Mon Mothma in this movie who is a character in mm-hmm. Star Wars. So, So they are going back and playing with that movie and what happens around it, and I'm 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 so it's not off in some other planet with characters you've never heard of. Um, it it's some characters you've heard of, and it's a planet that we've seen. and And so I'm curious what you guys think about that. The idea of going back and and telling stories inside these you know famous influential stories f- from the original Star Wars movies is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or is it just uh, different?
1: I feel like the way you can get away with that is by recognizing like even though i just said like who's to say what's more important here one thing you can say in terms of like political rank or organizational structure is that princess leia is near the top of the rebellion right even in star wars she's in a very important person there's the senate there's a the whole thing like if you're to draw a big org chart of the various factions here and there's a bottom of that org chart too and What it looks like in this movie is you can imagine everybody in this movie going about their business, operating at sort of the leaf nodes and sort of middle management layer and having their mission and never having to have any real interaction with the top of the rebellion saying, you know, we really need some plans for this thing that they're doing or whatever, right? As in, you know, our, our hero here does not look to be in charge of a huge swath of the rebellion she is just a you know a single lone person who is recruited into this this you know effort right so i feel like you can have an entire movie about adventures connected to or in parallel with or whatever the the larger story but you don't have to necessarily have it's like having a a spy movie where you never see the president it's fine to have, you know, I don't in the Jason Bourne movies, I don't remember how many of them you actually see the president. Surely the president is involved. This is a US government, you know, thing or whatever. But you can have a whole spy movie without involving like the the generals in charge of the army or the president or anything like that. And I, and I feel like that's one easy out here. Is there an occasion to see Darth Vader? Does this stuff raise to his level of notice or concern? Well, if they do their job well, no. He never knows they were there. They get in, they get out, they get their stuff, and only later does he find out uh, that someone's got the plans because they know exactly where to shoot the little uh, photon torpedo, right? Photon torpedo, geez. Mm.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, oh. John Syracuse, I got Star Wars and Star Trek confused. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't get it confused, my traitorous mouth did.
2: <laughs> and in fact, I think John's point makes even more sense when you think about the fact that this rebellion is, you know, a lot of the other ways, places we see it is predicated as sort of like, you know, a network of cells, right? So in fact, it makes more sense that, you know, Princess Leia, especially, I think we're, you know, in some ways we're given to expect for the most part, that before the events of A New Hope, she is kind of, you know, nominally maybe in charge, but is not really directly associating with most of the rebellion, right? Because she's sort of the legitimate face. Uh, And so to do that, to have her actually involved in those operations would put everything at risk, right? So in fact, it makes sense in some ways, just from a storytelling perspective, that she doesn't have to get involved. And I agree, like, you could have Darth Vader or the Emperor, but like John says, like, is that... Is that the important part of the story? And, and you you run into storytelling issues there too, because if you have a bunch of like rebels run up against you know Darth Vader, they're yeah, all it's going not gonna, to die. Not gonna, they're going to go well. <laughs> it's not going to go well.
1: And it's not. I mean, assume it's it's going to be you know sort of a omniscient narrator type of thing. Like it's not going to be a point of view movie where we, we only see we follow one character, and we only see what they see. So at any time you could cut to, you know the Empire boardroom where Darth Vader's having another argument about his ancient religion or something like at any time you could show the higher reaches. You could show princess Leia doing something. You could show Vader, you could show Vader talking to the emperor, but why would you have that scene unless it's part of the plot of the movie? Like, I feel like you can, you could work that in because those people are alive. They're running around doing their jobs, but unless their jobs are directly connected to the specific plot of this movie and these characters, there's no reason to show them other than perhaps fan service. So I think, I will give them a pass on a few, like, oh, there's a Millennium Falcon flying by in the background or something, or a nod to something that happens later about uh, tractor beams and, you know, the Death Star looking like a moon. That's all fine and good, but I don't think, you know, that there is necessarily any reason for our heroes from the saga, good guys, bad guys, or anyone related, to be involved in the mission that this movie is about, because this type of mission is going to be a hush hush type of thing. And that's I mean you'd imagine that's why they'd recruited nobody. She's a, a you know a capable rebel, but no one knows who she is. If you need someone to infiltrate, uh, she doesn't have like a, a little dossier uh, in in the empire's computer saying, "Oh yeah, she's totally, you know, what well, well, you know, she's just a, another, you know, random person off the street who is they, they don't know anything about because she's beneath their notice."
0: Well, and to
2: Jason's question about like linking stuff in and telling stories within the saga, I think the greater virtue here uh, especially is that you get to use a language that you otherwise, uh, you know, we've seen sort of a der- like a derived form of that language in episode seven, where the like hints and sensibilities of the original of the design from the original trilogy sort of seeps into like, and informs what, what the, you know, what the universe looks like 30 years later. But here, we're inside that moment, right? Like, there was a great bit, and I was watching some of the Force Awakens background um, materials, and they were talking about designing the Falcon, especially, and they they talked about, like, as if they were approaching it as, like, a period movie. They were trying to get accurate all the details on the Millennium Falcon in in Episode 7, so that it looked like the same ship, essentially, from the original trilogy. And so, in the same way, you know, we essentially have that language of all these, like, we're seeing original stormtroopers, we're seeing original star destroyers we're seeing yavin right like you can not only use sort of like this as sort of a quick shortcut of like hey this is the universe we're in remember this but like in if we had seen that, you know, that slavish a uh, sort of adherence to the original trilogy's design sensibilities in episode seven, we might have kind of rolled our eyes a little bit and been like, Oh, we're just reusing all this stuff. But like here we're in that time period, so it makes sense. It's it's a period it movie. It is
0: a period movie. It's the the period is Star Wars. It's nineteen seventy seven in a galaxy far, far away. That's that's when this movie takes place.
2: Few, fewer fewer bell bottoms, but mm. yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I love that about it. I, I was really happy to see, as we'll we'll see when we go through it, to see Stormtroopers, the old kind. I, I don't have I know, a problem with so the cool. new kind, but it's like, yeah, and they're the old kind and some new kinds. The
2: Star Destroyers gave me chills, as I said. Like, it just, it, my hair on my arms went up just watching them because they had that, like, you know, drifting slowly forward, like that iconic first shot, like first sequence in A New Hope. And I was sitting there going, oh, man, you know, like this is, it's not just like we had a new Star Wars movie and it was good. But now we have like a new Star Wars movie that's like contemporaneous with all the Star Wars movies that we love. And something about that is even even more giddy inducing.
1: yeah, and it it's tricky to do that though, like like the special feature on the Millennium Falcon, because you're gonna do these in computer, right? And none of the original ones were done in computer. They are all models, right? And so like you, like how do you how do you make a computer thing that looks on camera? like the models did and part of that is camera moves you know like moving the camera like you know as if it was you were constrained by like the motion control cameras that they had to use back then but part of it is just figuring out how to light the thing and they, I mean they had the same problems with the Millennium Falcon of like how shiny should it be uh, how, how dull how much dirt how much detail should we add you, you're kind of stuck not doing anything that the model couldn't or didn't do and looking at these the Star Destroyer like the one close up they had of it like even here, the the lighting on it is a bit more dynamic. I mean, a bit more realistic. You know, I would imagine because you know they're it, rather than just blasting the thing with spotlights and putting it in some blue screen, just hoping to get a good, clean mat line on the thing. In computers, we have so much more flexibility for nuance. But then, to my eyes, it doesn't look like the models, right? It it looks it looks different. It looks fresher. It looks a little bit uh, more detailed to my eye. A little bit more modern. Well, at the same time, of course, all the geometry is exactly as we expect because, you know, they probably laser scan the things and everything. So that's an interesting balancing act. Same thing with the Death Star itself, which totally looked like a big model that someone spray painted, especially in a new hope. And here it looks more like a giant space station. Um, again, a, a little bit more detail and everything like that. So it's, it's kind of weird. It's as if like your memories of childhood were like low definition. And then this is like, this is like, uh, the limitations of our storytelling technology didn't allow you to see the world of a new hope as it actually existed, but now you're actually in a new hope and this is what it looks like if you were there and like had your contacts in or whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree completely. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to see them walk that line of trying to make things look correct, but better. And it was one of the things I always got struggled with in the prequels, right? Which was how do we depict this world um, that is, you know, sort of the pre fall, world and everything in that looked a little too too shiny nice etc and it was hard to draw that line um and i think episode seven did a much better job of like production design and trying to like grow out of that but yeah here they have the advantage of being able to just sort of go to the source
0: the the, the thing episode seven had the advantage of over the prequels is that they got to show technology advancing and i mean within reason obviously but they the prequels had were the product of incredibly advanced technology that supposedly takes place before the stuff that we saw that was made using technological ideas of the seventies and eighties. And so boy, that's a tough that's a tougher thing. So here here I think it's kinda of brilliant that they, they really just get to use Star Wars as a model and the, the the costuming and the art direction of Star Wars as as at least their basis for for the world the parts of the world that we've seen and, and well, uh, maybe we should go through the trailer now. How about that? What do you think? Sounds like a plan. All right. So opening scene, we have Felicity Jones, who is the star of this movie. Uh, and we see her being led into an area that I believe is a Rebel Alliance controlled area. Um, there are, um, right? Does it just seem it's got, you got all those guys. I think with she's the... almost certainly, it seems like Yavin, Yavin Ford. Yeah.
1: I mean all their bases all their bases start to look the same over, after a while. I mean they're all kind of even the one in the Force Awakens was kind of modeled after this because it kind right. of looked, you know. But the second it looks shot looks like
0: a rebel base. Second shot of, of the trailer has pillars with like vines on them which is totally a Yavin thing, right? So Also
2: some of the some of the set pieces they have in for their shots there are exact look to me to be exact duplicates of stuff from that last uh, base sequence in a new hope where they're like way, you know watching the attack on the yeah, death star there's like a big round thing. thing
1: yeah it's it's like the stadium i always thought it was like the stadium from clash of the titans where the little figures you know and the little, it's like
2: why why are you looking down at the screen in the middle of a circular pit no it's like an overhead projector they um yeah. we,
0: we we got the uh the person in a like one of those helmets with the the like the bike helmet kind of thing mm-hmm. with a with a thing going on backward or like down the back like like is in is in star Wars. Uh, she's got handcuffs on apparently. Um, which is interest intriguing, right? What, why, why is this character in handcuffs? Although I'm still not entirely sure that this isn't her at the end of the movie. Um,
2: well, the, I think it's, I think it's the setup, the classic setup, you know, of any, there are so many, like, so this is a, you know, a, what would be called and sort of, I don't want to use the gender terms men on a mission, but like on, on a mission movie, right? Like this is the, the dirty dozen, like, Oh, uh, you're no good, but we need your kind of no good to carry this out. Right. (laughs) And like the thing is that like, the thing is that we were so used to, and we'll, you know, obviously I think talk a little bit about sort of the the gender roles and interesting choices they've made there, but like we're so used to seeing that as a, as a male protagonist, like that is a trope. It is much less common with a female protagonist. And so I think it definitely feels a little more fresh in that way, but like you could probably name a dozen movies where it starts out with, like, the government wants to recruit this yeah, person or, who is... Or they get him out of jail,
1: he, like, like The Rock or whatever. Like, we get him out of prison so bad, we already have him in prison. And I think she's being led... She's in handcuffs, right? And yeah. I think the the trooper, the the, the the rebel soldier that is leading
2: her is also a woman. I couldn't tell with the helmet.
1: It's hard to tell. Long hair, long hair slight build, or a, a very young man. But, but either way, like, that type of thing... I mean, they did it with the, the original screenshot... Uh, shot of the cast and everything like that 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 uh, you're right saying dan that, that that the the usually like we need you because you're the toughest and most resourceful guy even though you're you know uh, uh, an outlaw or whatever always when there's a bunch of people leading someone in handcuffs this is a bunch of men no matter who is in the handcuffs why would you have anyone leading people in handcuffs who aren't men because it's just a, like it's an impossibility in the movie to have a hero in handcuffs led by a bunch of guards those guards all have to be men, right and I, I think, like right off the bat, at the very least, it's ambiguous. The idea that there's there are you know that fifty percent of these people, the people in this movie, are not men, uh, and somehow the rebel line still functions. Uh,
0: we got a, we got a, a couple of droid uh, cameos in this uh, panning shot in the in what looks like some kind of a hangar bay. There's uh, as she's being led across. Also. um... The, the rebels are playing a little bit loose with their security arrangements and that they're allowing the handcuffed prisoner uh, to walk behind the guard, which is kind of weird.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, well, there's, a, there's
0: so many rebels
1: there. She tries to jump them
2: and it's not going to, you know. I mean, not. you know, the rebels are not big on, they're not policemen. Based. Right. They, but,
0: they are rebels. But there's an X-wing in the background and there's a there's a, there's a a gunk um, that mm-hmm. we see on the Power left board. and on the right there is a, you know, I don't know, there's an, one of those... It's a canister droid of some qu- kind. I don't want to... A canister droid? I, I don't <laughs> want to assume which <laughs> R and which D it is, but it's in the general canister. An, astro, an astromech, Jason, canister. An astromech. No, it's like a vacuum a cleaner, no, right? Yeah. It's going to come in the upright uh-huh. in the canister. This is a canister <laughs> model. It's a I I, I thought, what, like R5-D4 kind of uh, guy. Yeah, there's there. a couple
1: There's a couple of them in the shop. But yeah, the, the droid makers have some fun. I, I was excited to see. I'd forgotten, like, oh, it's the old X-Wings. The original X-Wings. Yeah. You're so used to seeing the Force Awakens one. They got those, those four circular engines staring you in the face with the big jj uh, loves to build physical x-wings and you know what the people who build them is like can you build more i can't even tell if that's a real uh, physical x-wing who but surely tell? the people who build them uh will gladly build you more here's the way you can tell if it's a physical x-wing by the way i don't want to ruin it for people but like to tell is this a cg x-wing although the cg people i shouldn't be saying this because they're going to hear me and fix this and then ruin my system but uh as anyone who has ever built an x-wing out of anything including the large scale lego ones knows It is really, really hard to get the wings of an X-Wing to stay parallel to the ground because they droop, because they're thin and long and heavy. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what you build it out of, unless you build it out of titanium, like especially if you build it out of wood or something like that, the physical ones, the wings droop a little bit. So if you see the wings drooping a little bit, probably a physical one. If they are
0: exactly parallel to the ground, probably CG. So Todd Vaziria and everybody else at ILM, take note. Want to make it look realistic? You got
1: them. Damn it,
0: Syracuse. Just a little
1: bit of droop. Or the the, the model maker ones could actually use very, very stiff material like, you know,
0: carbon fiber, honeycomb to actually make them parallel to the ground, but that costs too much money. That's not going to happen. How is it that the gonk droid, as dumb as it is, is in, in so many Star Wars movies? It's just a nostalgia. It's really, it's really
1: easy to make if you have a couple of trash cans and yeah. you glue them together <laughs> and put a, a little person
0: in it. We never called this the gonk as a kid. This was the walking trash can. The yeah, walking trash like, can droid. A, that was it. wheel.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A power droid, I think, if you want to go with the yep. the other vernacular. But yeah, I think it's it's just one. There's only one of them in the entire Star Wars galaxy. He, he just gets around. He gets
0: around. Yeah. A power droid. Does that mean he's like a battery? He just is like yeah, a portable sure. battery. He yeah. walks over and you, yeah, you
2: charge your iPhone. Wow, well, that's pretty. It's got it's USB ports like, on the sides. So many of the budgetary
1: like constraints of the '70s for the original Star Wars have, you know, been translated into canon of the Star Wars universe. Because like, well, especially like, we need a bunch of Roboty background things they're not important they're not going to be stars in the
0: movie they need to look Roboty yeah. how cheaply can we make something that looks Roboty well it's we can on put a little screen. person for, <laughs> five mi- <laughs> for five seconds maybe nobody right. will ever even remember it was there meanwhile <laughs> no no <laughs> yeah. actually for for 30 years people will be freeze framing everything yeah, they made an and... action
1: figure out of it Like oh. it's like a, it's a, it's a little person with little plastic things on their legs and little plastic shoes and two trash cans glued together and it goes and they, made it, and they made an action figure out of it and you're like wait Wait, wait, wait. That was, and then now it's just, That's the
2: just, just <laughs> run with it guys. Just run with it.
0: Yeah. Uh. Gonk. Um, what else is, what is So they they go across the bay. There is the X-wing in the background. There's, you know, there's some steam coming up. There are people are like welding things. There's a droid. Um, and it appears that she is then brought into a, uh, a tactical area. This is a control room, uh, the likes of which we have seen before in star Wars. It's a rebel control room. And in it, there is a, uh a guy off to the uh, off to the left and, who's looking very stern and in the center it is uh it is somebody we've seen before it's it's uh Mon Mothma, the uh the sort of uh what what would you say she is is she the uh the the leader of the rebellion the official leader of the rebellion well she is
2: at one point a senator i believe Although yeah. I think, yeah, it depends, again, how much That's stuff they're throwing out from earlier. I,
1: I, think, I think at this point, like, I mean, especially during Star Wars, the Rebellion is a secret and informal thing. You know, it's all you are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. as if They don't declare themselves, oh, hi, I'm part of the Rebels. Like, you know, the idea is they are forming a Rebellion.
2: They don't have letterhead, right, that says Rebel <laughs> Alliance, Alliance on it. <laughs> right,
1: right. So who is part of the Rebellion? Powerful, important people in the galaxy who are against the, the growing empire, but they're not declaring themselves so i feel like these people have like day jobs but uh you know behind the scenes they are orchestrating this rebellion so obviously she is i mean i I always took her in star wars to be below princess leia i don't know if that officially canonically like rank wise she's more important or whatever but uh in this movie is presented as our hero comes before her and as far as she's concerned as far as our hero is concerned uh This is the person in charge. She's all lit up. She's got spotlights on her. She's in this this weird dress thing or whatever. She is the face of authority, right? Um, Whether there's any thought of people above that or who the heck, you know, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker are going to be or what Princess Leia is or what she's doing is totally beyond the concern of, you know, this person just got marched in here in handcuffs. As far as she's concerned, she's talking to the person in charge.
2: No, oh, and I honestly had always had the opposite uh, thought from John, which is I assumed Mamatha was the sort of top head of the sort of nominal like head of state, yeah, sort of, and and that she was basically in charge of things. And Princess Leia, well, high ranking was not necessarily, you know, like I said, she was sort of like in and out, right? Because she was definitely maintaining her role in the Senate at least up until A New Hope, um, but she sort of acts as a as a high level operative in some way. So I agree, there's definitely, I mean. It's, she's definitely in charge. It's interesting because we have a weird link here, which is that this character, of course, first appeared in Return of the Jedi in a pretty much just one scene um, and then appears briefly. I think in the final cut of the of episode three appears briefly, but has deleted scenes in which they she actually has lines and they're using the same actress from the prequels, which might be one of the first times that one of the new films is drawing sort of a direct line to the prequels. Um, but it's very clever because she looks a lot like the original actress.
1: Yeah, I had that I had that moment. I'm like, wait a second, is that? Did they do CG face yeah. replacement? What? Like, it's just you know because all you, you, the the thing is, you don't when you see the next to each shots, they don't actually look that much alike, But you you see the uniform, you don't see. The person, especially at the range that they're doing this shot.
2: Broad broad strokes, you know, I think, you know, like there are some broad strokes there that they could pass for similar enough if you don't remember exactly what the original actor looked like. But this right. is an Irish actor named Genevieve O'Reilly, uh, who's been in a bunch of things, um, including uh I was thinking I saw her in Spooks, the British show, and in um episodes, the Showtime comedy. She she plays a part in there too. So um but she look I think she is a dead ringer here, and it is interesting they decided to go with the prequels actress, but I guess they felt like well, we already cast that part one. Yeah,
1: we already did. We already did the search for someone who looks just like this, and yeah. uh, so it's her. Let's just go with that.
0: And now the, the, that person just needs to be a little bit older. And guess what? They are because <laughs> yeah, convenient. Time has passed since the prequels, so here we are. Felicity Jones is uh, brought before uh, Mon Mothma and this this dude, and then there's also another uh, another guy who looks roguish. And is lit in sort of a green light from the tactical display, and he's off in the corner, so you can tell that that, that guy's going to be.
2: He might be Rogue Two.
1: Yeah, you see, you see his little uh, his little badge. They have the little rank badges. The one the one you always remember from the New Hope is the one that looks like the Purina dog food symbol, like with the five <laughs> the five red things, right? This guy's just got two two green dots, so obviously he is not as high ranking
0: as the it's probably Eastern. like a lieutenant or yeah. something. And is that Diego Luna? It is Diego Luna. Yeah. So I, I I assume that the, the the story this is the story right, which is all right. We called you in here. You've got a mission. Um, you're going to work with this guy. I'm like he's that guy. That's what he's our
2: official guy, right? Like he's right. our he's our legitimate like guy that we send into these things. But yeah, you he, have a very specific retail, yeah. you have a very specific set of skills that we need. Mm-hmm. One thing about these two characters, which I, I I tweeted about and I got a pretty big response, which was this this trailer opens with two characters both women Mm -hmm. talking about something not related to a guy, which means this trailer already like 20 seconds in passes the Bechdel test, uh, which may set it aside from almost every other Star Wars movies, at least up to Force Mm -hmm. Awakens, certainly. So that um, despite the fact that I do think, you know, when they first released a cast photo, despite having a very diverse cast, they did have still a predominantly male, at least the characters we were shown. Um, So, there are at least multiple multiple women in here with lines with scenes together um which i think continues along the sort of trajectory we've seen from the new star wars uh laid out for us which is this is really going to be about like all sorts of different characters right not just our prototypical white male heroes so that's i think that's really cool
1: i mean i i I still feel like she's going to be overwhelmed in the movie, kind of like uh, Ray was for the most part. And that, like, you're still going to be in a universe mostly surrounded by men uh, to a degree that is not particularly uh, representative of the world at large. But they're, you know, they're making progress. This is what you have to say, is that they are taking steps in the right direction. I mean, the, you know, the, the optimistic outcome is you do this a bunch of times, and then people start complaining about the stereotypical white female heroine. And so, all right, that's progress. Next, we're on to the next, you know, stereotype. Now, can we? It's
2: like, uh, it's like turning a Star Destroyer. You got to do it. It's very slow once you start moving it, but it takes a while to turn all the way around.
1: The most, I think the most important thing is like, you can't go into this and like, oh, and you know, we're going to make a bunch of movies. You're going to make one every year. And they're probably going to be like diverse and everything. But in the beginning, you know, let's just do them traditional. It's, I think it's really important to come out of the gate with two movies with, with a female lead, even if there are, pretty conventional in almost every other way like i said i really think that you know that cast photo is representative and she's going to be running around in this movie most of the people surrounding her uh are are going to be men right um and maybe slightly more diverse men but to have the one-two punch of the force awakens and this one sends a signal that it's not like oh this is something we're going to do in the future going forward when we have the opportunity it's like we're doing it now this is this is you know, it's not it's not going it's not something that we aspire to, right? Yeah, it is a priority, and and so much so that they're, they're staking the movies on it. The movie is the movie is on her shoulders, right? That's this is the whole movie.
2: There are some challenges with that, also just based. Like on, again, once again, if we're rooting this in a period, right? Like, you know, of the for example, you take the Empire, right? Like, how many women did you see in the Empire in the original movies? Any it's half the stormtroopers you just couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, like, that's what you got to assume. Like, that's that's basically... It wasn't until, you know, Force Awakens that we had a definitive, like, female Stormtrooper. So, um, I think, I'm sure, again, there's an uphill climb to, like, having, representing that when... You know, you. It's weird because you feel like you're adhering to a period, like, but at the same time, like, it's a fictional period, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. This, this is history of things that never happened, so really, it could have been whatever the hell you wanted to be. I
1: mean, and they can they can still play that up as in, like, even if they want to go with like, all right, so most of most of the rebel fighters are men, and most of the empire is men. That's why we need a woman to be the one to infiltrate and get these plans. I mean, you could, there's lots of different angles you can take on it. I think there's no problem with plausibility at all. I'm just saying, like, from the from the entertainment making perspective that the disney is sending a message and being smart you know <laughs> money wise because uh like i just i just think it's it's a it's a good move and it's easy to like i said look at this and say all right well it's progress but um and i totally agree with all of the buts but i'm just i'm exhilarated by the fact that things are moving forward you know what i mean like in, in, in a way that like even though i enjoyed the star trek movies and we had complaints about star trek true those those uh the silly scenes the what was that uh, into Darkness, the silly scenes where they have people stripped down and everything. Yeah. And I like those movies and, and I thought they were good, but uh, A, they were constrained by the cast and they didn't like regender things, which they could have. And B, I didn't realize how much uh, how much more interesting they would have been to me had they gender swapped a bunch of people or done something more creative until I got to see these movies and have a fresh look because we spent our whole lives seeing movies where all it is is a bunch of men doing things yep. as if women don't even exist. And it's exhilarating to see something different.
0: Yep. Agreed. This is uh, also, as we move to the next scene, uh, in that previous scene, what we get is Mon Mothma saying um, a list of all the crimes that Felicity Jones's character has committed, essentially, uh, which is funny. And then uh, her response comes over the next scene. So we see her uh, in wearing something on her head and and uh, in a in what looks like a... Uh, It's somewhere else. There's a robot behind her, a droid. Sorry, droid. The
1: robot appears in in a bunch of this trailer, and it could just be that robot happens to be there in this scene, or that could be that robot is like the companion robot for their ragtag
2: crew for the whole movie. I will give you even money, both it's that and it's Alan Tudyk. And it's
0: Alan Tudyk, who is also the robot <laughs> yeah. in iRobot. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's probably a motion capture thing. But anyway, so so she but then what we see her is uh, beating the crap out of a whole bunch of stormtroopers with uh, with a stick and with a blaster. And she ends up like firing and causing an explosion that hurls no, a whole bunch. She does, of She, doesn't, she
1: doesn't cause that explosion. She is the victim of that explosion. The explosion is being think? set off remotely by someone holding something, and she. Uh, you, you can go through it a frame it at a time. There's some weird
2: cuts there too.
0: Yeah. Oh, so we see we see her we see her fire. Oh, you're right. We right. see her fire her gun, but then we cut, and you can actually see there's somebody yeah. above who's got it's a two trigger. Two totally different
1: scenes. Who is cli- clicking it, the trigger, making you think it's connected? Well,
0: I think that I think those are in the same location, right? But
1: yeah. And you see, look at after the explosion goes off, she is diving to the ground with our friend with the the two the, our scruffy-looking friend from yep. the, the the opening scene with the two things and take cover. You know, it's typical trailer stuff where you you know you can you can make it look yeah. like that's one scene because people don't notice it. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it, this is the part where they show uh, action. Here's some action going on. Yeah, stormtroopers storm storm
0: flying through the air. You got to like that, right? And she's and she's beating the crap out of stormtroopers too. That's also what we get here. So she's she's tough. She's got a gun. She's got she can fight with a stick. She's got lots of different ways to uh, beat on stormtroopers. And then there's somebody who blows up a bunch of stormtroopers. And this uh, is a
1: rebellion after all.
0: This is a rebellion after all uh and she, she say after all but, uh, and she says in the next in the next scene uh we are back with her and and uh in the rebel base and and she says i rebel that is that is who this character is which is a uh, pretty good ge- pretty great and um on mothma sort of has a knowing a knowing smile and looks down
1: yeah it's like it's like when you don't want to humor your kid like your kid says something funny but it's not really funny you don't want to like laugh to encourage them but it actually is kind of funny yeah. She's supposed to be stern and say, "You've broken all these laws and are disobedient and are you know you're you're a, you're, you're a rebel uh whatever <laughs> yeah. you know and and but really, she kind of admires the the gusto of her here all all yeah, all communicated with a nice smile and you know that's that's why the scene is in the trailer because that's what you want
0: to have there um let's see so so our next shot she is she is writing. On a on a spaceship, it looks like looking out the window. We get some lens flare.
1: Could be a vehicle. Could be. Yeah, but it's probably flying, going through there. But yep, got got to get that lens flare in there.
0: You know, uh, and then the next shot, and this is again over over. There's voiceover about uh, a weapons a weapons test that's happening, and that they need to get the details. And we get a star destroyer with a a, a shadow moving across the surface of the Death Star. As it turns out in the background and we get to see that they're lowering the the um, the cone of the weapon into the Death Star super laser. Some assembly required.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, cause you know, like John said up from when we're talking about the models of it, it's like, you know, we all know the Death star was like a big model, right? Like, and so it was so in some ways, so interesting in, in Return of the Jedi, when we had to deal with the unfinished death star. Now here it's unfinished, but it's like in a much further, you know, long stage of construction. Um, but there still is like, you had to have giant ships, like putting these last things into place, right? Like you're building in space, which is great. Um, but you know, it still requires some work. So we get the impression it's it's not quite finished, but it's pretty close to finish. It's, it's
1: like the arm on the space shuttle. They subcontracted that out to the Space Canadians, and they just delivered it and install it.
2: That's yeah, the same thing with the Death Star. Also contracted the Space Canadians.
0: Somebody said that the yeah. the Death Star is unibody construction. You know, so they they <laughs> built they build the whole big thing, and then they and then they because uh, it has the curve. You want the curve to match, and then they have the cutout, which where they the separate contractor. Yeah, is building the the firing mechanism, the the barrel of the gun or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, they do a nice job showing the scale by having the Star Destroyers hanging
2: out around it. It looks so puny
1: yeah. next to it.
0: Yeah, yeah it's just beautiful. That, that, that's a nice revisitation of a thing we know, we all know well from Star Wars, right?
2: And so much harder to do, I think, right when they had the original model works, right?
1: Yeah, they're not, they're not going to make uh, Star Destroyer Scare models next to the Death Star model because it would be like you know, like a centimeter large, and <laughs> it wouldn't read on camera,
2: and you know, but with exactly, magic but with CGI, you can do all that.
0: We get the guy. The guy, the guy who's been hanging out to the left, who is obviously a a military leader of some sort.
2: Oh, the our general or whatever
0: in the rebellion.
2: Yeah, we couldn't get we couldn't get our general uh, Didana probably because I'm I'm sure that guy's dead.
0: <laughs> and and he's being
2: to
1: stern. Go. He's scolding her and he's saying this is actually a serious mission. We really need to know this. You know, we, whatever instructions he has just given her, he wants to make sure she takes it seriously and is going to do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> someone queued up some uh some alarms there. Yeah,
1: there's there's alarms. It's very it's very exciting. So there's a long and glorious history of uh klaxons and trailers. Uh the ones that come to mind immediately to me in mo- most recent memory was the Prometheus trailer which leaned heavily on the sirens or klaxons uh repeatedly going throughout the in, in more intense part of the trailer. Uh what else have you got? Uh someone posted the Alien trailer which had a little bit of that going on in it um which ones am i forgetting that are farther back than uh than prometheus it's it's a very common th- i mean the the modern trailer structure is you know gentle intro rising action big dramatic lots of things happening and then smooth out at the end and this one going with the the siren theme interestingly i think the sirens are they sound different they don't sound oh the other one i was thinking of was inception which they weren't really sirens but similar type of thing. Yeah. the big bong you know bass mm-hmm. sound um these sirens—I don't know if they sound Star Wars, but they definitely don't sound like the other sirens that I've heard. And but I they, think they are they Star w-
2: Wars sirens. They're the—they're used in the Death Star in the original. i,
1: I know if that's what they're going for, yeah. I feel like they haven't matched it. It could just be again—if you take that sound out of the original context, it sounds weird, kind of like the jet, taking the, the lines from Luke out of Jedi and they sound weird, you know. Um, I think that's it,
2: part it, of it. I think the other part of it is that they—they they were something we heard very much in the background. And so they're foregrounded. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, presumably, if the, if they just pull the exact sound effects, Ben, uh, you know, Ben Burtt's got them all on some board somewhere. That could be them. But uh, but if that's where they're going for, they just sound so different out of context. Especially, you know, again, behind it is not playing the John Williams music. You don't hear the footsteps of people running through the Death Star. They are pretty well isolated, and then they just continue for the for the action portion of this trailer.
0: We are now joined by Serenity Caldwell, who has made it home. Hi.
3: Finally. Hello.
0: We're 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 uh, a full minute into mark. the trailer
3: now. <laughs> a whole minute. You're in you've gotten into the Klaxons. That's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so so there's plenty of time for you to to, to jump in here as we go. Um, yeah, so we got to the Klaxons, and then we, there's a whole bunch of uh, like X-wing pilots and Felicity Jones and Diego Luna and a Gonk droid. They're all uh, walking off to the left.
2: Do they let the Gonk droid fly a plane in this one? Because that'd be great.
0: It's his
1: dream. You look at him there. He's looking so so mournful. He's like, "This is gonna be my chance this time for sure." Is
0: there is there one X-wing left for me? but he walks so slowly that in three strides they're all way past him and he's just just taking his little <laughs> steps
3: there's an whole anthology film just dedicated solely to that the gonk chronicles somewhere the, chronicles. the, the gonk chronicles you know, we didn't see an Astromech, so uh, so I guess you know we have to have one little droid sidekick, there, right?
0: There is there is a did, I, I said a Astromechs. canister droid as I refer <laughs> to them. I know <laughs> it's like there is a, it's red like a vacuum cleaner R five D four sort right, of guy right. off on the far
1: He's right. He's rolling.
3: Is that one in Felicity the Rebel Jones base? Is in handcuffs? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And there's yeah. one on the left too.
0: There's a silver one on the left oh. as well. That's right. Also a canister, John. <laughs> an Astromech, yes. Uh, uh, sure. <laughs> All right. Not an upright though. Gunk is yeah, more of an, an upright. upright. Actually. <laughs> actually I'm more of an upright. I, I classify all uh, my robots as vacuum a cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> not a baldroid, no, or a mastery. Uh so they're they're headed beep, off beep. to war, I guess. Um and then and then we get a shot, mysterious shot, of a uh a uh sort of it's it's almost like his um graduation photo he's sort of posed standing there <laughs> looks like, like ian mckellen
1: to me he looks very ian mckellen
0: hands across a, maybe he's got a little uh staff or something like that a little he's got a cape it's a it's a uh it's a it's a um uh, imperial admiral grand admiral something like that he's in white so he's not the coloring that we expect from these in uniforms. the yeah
2: if it was if it was eu then that would signify grand admiral but again we've toss some of that he's also standing in front of the display in the death star that tarkin is standing in front of yep, during the big, much the of a new window hope. Mm, yeah the trapezoidal one yeah yeah
1: what does he hold what is that what is on his, is he holding a gun what is that silver thing
2: It look like a, it was like a swagger stick or something
0: yeah i i thought it was maybe yeah like some sort of uh affectation it's like a a, a, st- a stick or something but uh i don't know i'm holding a stick i have a metal space stick He looks like Magneto. He
1: he looks like Ian McKellen uh, playing uh, uh, Magneto. He's got the cape. He's got the look. I know the actor doesn't actually look like that when you see what he looks like in the thing, but this pose just made me think of that. And it's a good pose.
0: It's a nice shot. Yeah. It's creepy.
3: It is. It's very eerie. I mean... Obviously, we, we don't know too much about where the settings of this movie are going, but I appreciate that as we sort of get into Imperial shots, starting at about the 52nd mark, things go from very grungy and very lived in to we've we've got the isolationist, very clean, very crisp look. All of the rebels are in browns and grays, and then you have your first shot of... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, even, even Mon Mothma is in kind of an off-white, right? She's not even in true... She's in kind of like this billowy, off-white, um, yeah, almost like beige.
0: It was a very 70s yeah, exactly. kind of thing, yeah, absolutely.
3: Oh, very, very 70s. But then you get to, you know, you get this beautiful, super, super white cape. Yeah, super cape.
0: Yeah, he's it's yeah, a little... the space Nazi
1: look. Yeah, the Empire got a big space very, Nazi thing going in this It's very
3: in. They don't
0: care about the the cleaning budget either. The laundry
1: budget. I, I, and this is another like speaking of budget. This is another place where the '70s budget of Star Wars comes in. We just mentioned before the the Purina Rebel sign, uh, you know, signature, right? So they had yeah. So they had to come up with a way to show uh, rank insignia. The, you know, whatever it's going to be. The more of these you have, the higher your rank is, right? And mm-hmm. the insignia things are like. It's like a plate of metal with colored raised squares because, I mean, you know, it's like, look, it's of all the things we're going to spend our money on in the original Star Wars in 1970, whatever. We're not going to spend, we don't have the kind of budget to have someone oh, come up with 17 designs for what their insignias are going to look like and then manufacture them. It was like, no, have the prop department take a piece of metal and put colored thing, And then now, so many years later, that's officially what the insignias look like. So like, well. You gotta do that because that's what they look like in mm-hmm. Star Wars, and it's such a it's such a strange look, born of low budget. But now it's like now it just that's Star Wars.
2: It actually doesn't even make any sense. Like if I I think as a kid, you know, I tried to go through and like figure out what they actually meant, and like you start comparing them, and it's like. This actually doesn't make any sense. No. People are all over the place with the number oh, yeah. of things that these other chaps.
0: No, it's, it's, um, although to an untrained eye, a lot of military, uh, rank insignia and medals and things like that are completely yeah,
2: the medalist. They look like it does
0: look campaign like ribbons.
3: Well, exactly. And, and, and now having, having learned a little bit about that, a lot of the stuff that's on your front lapel in the army, not your rank or your insignia. So right. it may be something entirely different. It may be like decorations. Maybe number of times that you've successfully uh, managed to fire your weapon at a target.
1: Maybe you just hold your gum. You know, if you get hungry and you want. To- no,
0: John, these are extra strength Liquigels. They um, you just you pop know, you them out and take them, and your right. allergies are are fine for a while. If you find
1: yourself in the matrix, you can have the red pill or the blue pill. <laughs> They're right there on your lapel.
0: That's right take take this um okay so we cut cut back uh and then we're we're in a scene again i think this might be the same scene i'm not sure but it's more classic stormtroopers and uh and like uh and there some of them are riding on like a tank and not so classic vehicle yeah classic stormtroopers um, although the guys in the tank are not classic stormtroopers right they've got something else going on with their armor they've got like blast shield Yeah they they, they mix up
1: the classic stormtroopers there and then there's other varieties of stormtroopers which mm-hmm. are not the Force Awakens stormtroopers and not the Clone Wars stormtroopers but other varieties and presumably they are Yet another variant, because like in the Stormtrooper fashion world, you have to have different outfits for so different many climates. Helmets. You've got you got the snow troopers, you got the forest troopers, and then you have different variants because the Force Awakens snow troopers don't look like the snow troopers from Empire, and so these are like desert, dirt, grime, street Star Wars Rebels setting. Uh, I mean, it's a, <laughs> they I'm do assuming look it's not a little all. chromey. Yeah, they they could be a little bit of Clone Wars carryover type thing, but that I think that's yeah. how you excuse like hey, where were all these stormtroopers in a new hope? Or why why were they here and not there? It's like, well, a new hope took place. Uh I mean, maybe they should have been on Tatooine if this is supposed to be like another desert planet, but all the ones on the Death Star were all of a piece because it's not like you have snow or ice or whatever there. It's just like yeah. the indoor, it's the general, indoor cats, you know,
0: <laughs> general use stormtrooper outfit. Right,
1: but but I think if they only use those stormtroopers in this movie, it would be less visually interesting. So I think they they are enjoying the ability to both have the classic stormtroopers with their classic guns and maybe a little bit fancier guns, but also new vehicles and new stormtroopers. Maybe it's like maybe that's the local help, right? That right. these are the Imperials and there's mm-hmm. also like some local government uh, on whatever planet they're
0: on. Yeah. Forrest Whitaker is next.
3: Uh, looking like a...
0: He, he he's 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 beat up he's got like he's wearing this thing that's got a bunch of stuff on it and he's got that little he's got like Darth Vader's uh, breathing harmonica thing right down yeah. at, right down yeah. in front of him like he like he just took off a, his uh, his own little Darth Vader mask and is uh, wandering up to talk to us
2: there's a subsequent shot at some point of something that looks kind of like a stormtrooper with black armor I wondered if this might be him with his helmet on but I didn't I didn't spend the time free framing through it, so I was curious to know if that yeah, it, if that might be it, him or not.
3: It just looks like a black stormtrooper looking at that shot.
1: Okay, it's, it's a little bit different than a black storm, but if you look at his shoulder pads, it's a different it's a different outfit yeah. at the very least. Whether it's him or... yeah, I
2: thought he might be more of like a bounty hunter or something it's hard to tell
3: i mean definitely he has that vibe he's definitely seen some stuff
2: he's got fans on his chest
1: he's got a walking stick he's yeah. angry about things he is he a and he check yeah. check
2: bounty yeah. hunter check
3: yep he's got a scar on his face yep we'll come back to him
0: uh now now we've got a shot that that's really quick but these are the the very definitely the black stormtrooper outfit different kind of helmet there's a there's a fire going on in the background with one of those little t- sort of towers like we usually see in the, the moisture desert in
3: star and wars y- mhm
0: this Is a moisture evaporator? I can't tell. Yeah, it looks, it looks kind of like the moisture vap- evaporators from Tatooine a little bit. It's just, a, you know. But, it, but a, there's
3: very green. There's lots of green yeah. behind
0: them. But there's something yep. going on there where it's it's very Star Wars-y, though, right? When you see one, because there's one in The Force Awakens, too, where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, Star Wars architecture. Got it. Where they've taken it from from um, the moisture farm, basically, and like used it as a motif of, like, this is the kind of thing we do in Star Wars. So it's in the background on fire apparently, or the thing behind it is on fire. And they're these super menacing stormtroopers we haven't seen before looking around.
2: Black stormtrooper armor is the new white.
0: I guess. <laughs>
2: it doesn't show the dirt as
1: much, you know, when you're on these dirty planets.
0: Really, it's more sensible that way. They got a big, uh, It's got a big, like, thing uh, on, the, on the bottom part of the face, like it's got a gas mask or something like that.
1: May, maybe not so good for the hot climates, though. So, again, I, and what, like... Yeah, I'm assuming this, I mean, the, uh, Ren pointed out the green, so it's probably not Tatooine, but, like, what planet are, I mean, this could be 17 different settings, but, like, there's the explosion, yeah. there's her beating up the stormtroopers. It looks like kind of sandy dirt on the ground, right? Yeah. they not, There's not cobblestone streets.
2: It almost looks tropical
0: to and me. And we've got tropical
2: w- stuff later, right?
1: We've so, got yeah.
3: tropical, yeah, we've got Yavin, Palm trees are later. Yep. Um, the shot that immediately succeeds this with, uh, with the... Locked rebel pilots in handcuffs being escorted through a busy market. Yes. This makes me think that they're definitely aiming, again, it, it goes with the the rebels in real life uh, feel. It looks a lot like how they've been portraying Lothal. And I don't think it's Lothal, but I think they want you to get the same kind of vibe for people who are hooked into the stuff that's happening with Star Wars Rebels. And they have said that like the stuff that's happening with Star Wars Rebels is canon and does affect the the larger sphere. I like the idea of showing other outer rim planets that may also may not be lush tropical, you know, Greenlands because not all not all habitable planets are going to look nice. There's probably going to be a lot of desert planets because there's, you know, a, the if you think about the logistics of habitable worlds and how not a ton of habitable worlds out there have, you know, perfect lush oceans and, and tons of greenery, it, it makes sense that, that there are a lot of worlds that look like this. And
2: also who gets to live on those worlds. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the
1: prime real estate in the galaxy, really.
3: <laughs> not so much. But secretly, I hope it's lethal.
1: We get the stormtrooper with the orange shoulder pad just as that scene fades out, like the traditional mm-hmm. a New Hope. You know, we have we have the black shoulder pad, the forehand, lots of variations. But every once in a while, you go you see one that's like they pulled that guy right out of a New Hope,
2: literally. That guy's super disoriented. That's right. right now. He's still yeah.
0: So running through, uh, here is our but robot, the robot again. friend here, again. Here is our yeah. Or, yeah. we call him a robot. He does he's not a recognizable droid. I suppose he's a droid because he's a robot in Star Wars, but he's he's a li- he's not something we've seen before. Um, He's humanoid looking. Yeah, and Does he
3: have uh, a cylindrical is that is that an IG unit? No, it doesn't look
0: like No, it. no, it's no,
2: wrong design. wrong body, I think.
0: He's big yeah. and uh and uh robot-y, and we haven't seen him before and they're running uh down a corridor and there are stormtroopers running um perhaps uh down the same corridor on the other side, we don't know, but there's two different I kinds of stormtroopers. I think it's a different here. location.
3: I honestly think it's a different location, and that they're just messing. with the, us. They're just
0: intercutting the two the two sets of running, yeah, because yeah, be. they're both indoors and they're both indoors and cartery. slightly gray. Well, the light the lights may be the same on the ceiling there, but again, this is uh, this is a pruder level analysis that we're doing here. But the, I think the most relevant <laughs> they're working thing,
2: they're working out
0: The most relevant thing is that we have two different uh, sets of stormtroopers again on brown who are, stormtroopers who are running yeah. here. So these are the whatever these or are tan tan stormtroopers. They come in all the colors now.
3: Yeah. And shout out to to Canary Wharf station, which is the first shot of them running through. Oh, is that? England. Is that, yeah, that's Canary Wharf. That's just a
0: <laughs> that's just an underground station. Yep. Well, that, that, it's an
3: underground station dressed up to look like Star Wars. Yeah.
0: Cool. Just got to add some
1: red lights and put a little bit of uh CG gloss over things and you're yeah. good to go. Yeah.
3: Make a uh, make the the uh ground look a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I don't know about these beige stormtroopers. Like I, I the, the idea that it's uh the imperial stormtroopers plus the local muscle makes some sense but these totally look like stormtroopers so it's like what climate are you for are you for like i don't know like swampy desert <laughs> like <laughs> just keep keep different varieties of stormtroopers because because the white stormtroopers are so clearly like they like they really are the indoor cat of of the star wars universe like they're so <laughs> nice and clean they're they're perfect for if you're running around the death star that's those are your guys but everyone else like they have to be you know different if you're gonna be running around on, on endor you're not gonna want to be all white like that the ewoks will eat you alive it's better to uh be a little bit camouflaged it's like the snow troopers i guess already are camouflage. but anyway these these beige guys definitely look kind of like they want to blend in with some scenery maybe they are the uh tropical island ones.
0: maybe so um and then we see uh we've got uh another guy with a, a another guy with a stick Guy with a stick, staff. stick, but not this, a lightsaber. This is Donnie Yen, I believe. Yes. Um, yep. Who you may know from Hero with Jet Li. And uh, he is, uh, he's is he been in a bunch it of cool man. martial arts movies. And he is using his staff to, uh, again, whack the hell out of a bunch of stormtroopers.
3: There's a downed X-Wing in the background of that.
0: Yeah. And again, the city, like, not a lot of
1: trees, brown dirt on the ground, kind of crumbling. Uh, the white stormtroopers stand out in this environment in the same way they stood out in Mos Eisley because they are shiny and for the most part clean and threatening in this sort of dirty, tumble-down world.
3: But not shiny in chrome.
2: No, that comes later. <laughs> I was gonna say I felt like the Donnie Yen scene felt like a little bit of like there's the Zayutuichi, the blind swordsman. It kind of feels like he's using it like almost like a you know a blind person using a cane, and then he just beats the crap out of all of them. So. Wasn't entirely sure what was going on there, yeah. but it seemed like an interesting dynamic.
0: Yeah. Very curious. Hmm. So, uh, sound curious. Cut, cut to we got stormtroopers firing, and this is we are very clearly at this point in a tropical setting. There are palm trees everywhere. There is what looks like a, uh, uh, uh well, there's a, a, a spacecraft with the f- four
3: wings. Yeah, it's like a big up?
0: Imperial
2: shuttle,
1: it's like
0: an yeah. Imperial shuttle
2: yeah. cargo yeah. thing. Yeah. It
3: looks like Kylo Ren shuttle. Yeah, that's exactly
2: bit. what I thought when I saw it. Although I, well, I think it might be a radar dish. If you, if you, I, I did oh, re, okay. freeze frame that one and run back, and I was like, it doesn't look like it's mobile necessarily, but it does bear a lot of resemblance to the Kylo Ren ship.
0: Well, but it does move because it blows up. <laughs> and then well, it's okay. flying. <laughs> um, so we get we get some nice trailer explosions, and then the next shot. Speaking of, oh. I, I mentioned earlier the uh, the Grand Admiral and the Imperial uh, laundry budget. Uh, here's the thing about having capes. Here's the thing about it if you wear a cape. If you wear a cape and then you walk along the beach, your cape's going to get wet. And that's what happens here. This, this one
1: floats gracefully across the water.
0: Yeah, but it's still Does wet. Does it get wet? It's still wet.
1: Well, it's like the, it's got that thing where the water beads up, like you use for tablecloth, so oh. it doesn't get ruined.
0: It's got a little, Grand little, little simonizing, care. little, uh, little uh, waterproofing there. Nice,
2: Jason. No capes.
0: No capes. I agree, <laughs> but this guy, he doesn't care. He's just got the nice swim. split in the no. back. It's very, it's very stylish. Mm.
3: It's a. This is a very chilling scene, especially. Uh, I didn't catch this the first time around, but going through on subsequent viewings, the dead stormtroopers just lying in that shallow water. And you've got a a bunch of the dead white stormtroopers. You've got a bunch of uh, what look like black stormtrooper, black stormtrooper armor, or it might be rebels uh, with burning what looks like burning X-Wings as well as potentially burning whatever we saw explode earlier against the Sea of trees. Like this is a beautiful shot. To contrast that with the very next shot, which is also of somebody completely direct center uh, center screen, which may be Palpatine? Vader? One of the... One of the above, flanked by Imperial guards? It
0: looks like it's somebody who would have some sort of connection to... I I, I mean, my initial thought was some sort of connection to the Sith, only because it's somebody in a black robe who is kneeling. And because they're kneeling in front of whatever this cylinder is that's got steam coming up from it. looks like a hologram. That's what I thought.
2: I I thought it was going to be like the holographic... like you know communication unit that we see in sort of empire but i it's hard to tell right because there isn't anything directly there right now but
0: i don't know it seems awfully solid so does it look like the steam. carbon freeze chamber
1: from like yeah. empire because it's just like it's got the the little the tubes hanging down that you know get sliced during the empire fight and you got a lot of smoke and you got those two like nodule things but yeah i I don't i can't get a read on what this light cylinder is because all of the all the things you just discussed have more or less canonical forms in this era of the star wars universe that we we know what the holograms look like and like there's no this looks more like a star wars transporter like what you don't need to have a big white cylinder of light to do hollow communications because those are blue and interlaced because that's how they look in this phase of, of the star wars universe um and they don't really have transporters and it doesn't actually look like carbon freezing because carbon freezing doesn't involve a giant white cylinder of light so what the hell is it
0: yeah but the key clue here is that we've got two of the the red imperial guards so this is something to do with the emperor
1: yeah like those guys only show up when the emperor is involved in some way i suppose they could show up when vader is involved in some way because this this scene makes me question how high we're going to go up the evil org chart in this movie is there going to be a scene where one of the fairly big bads talks to his boss, and is his boss Vader, or does his boss talk to Vader, or is this actually Vader talking to the Emperor? Like, do we need to see those people at all? It doesn't look like Vader to me, stature-wise. I know it's hard to tell, but, like, he's got the wrong outfit for Vader. He doesn't look the, the right height and width proportions. He doesn't walk like Vader, so I'm thinking it's not Vader, but who knows? Like,
2: yeah, the cape is wrong. It's yeah. not. It's not mm-hmm. the right cloak.
1: I mean, it would have to be like Vader in disguise. And if it's the Emperor, he doesn't. Again, same thing.
2: Is that wait, Vader in disguise is like a slightly different form of Darth Vader? <laughs> it's like Vader, but he wears a different.
1: You know, cloak over his I don't it doesn't make any sense.
0: No. Are you uh, Doug Vader? No. no.
1: <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> I just sound like James Earl Jones. A lot of people have that voice. What?
3: <laughs> then you've got another close up of uh of our of our pal For um,
0: Forrest Whitaker, there he is. Forrest Whitaker, Again. yeah. He's got a lot of equipment around his neck. That's why he's so angry all the time.
3: <laughs> very gray and and orange looking place it it almost looks like um the falcon interior but i think they're probably inside one of those dwellings where we see mm. Felicity Jones hanging out earlier yeah it's a very 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 quick shot and then cut to you more explosions
0: yes uh, more explosions and uh and a guy running uh running out of an explosion with a with a gun um and then uh, and then we get the we're in the sort of like on the beach and, and there are the palm trees and there are a whole bunch of imperial walkers uh, shooting down at people, including it looks like including Felicity Jones running across. Yes.
3: Yeah, that and, is Felicity and her, Jones.
0: And her scruffy friend. Yeah. And I think your scruffy friend is there, too.
1: And 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 he, he, yeah. so, the, so this is this is a totally a classic Star Wars move because the first Star Wars movie you had Luke in the desert and it's all about desert is hot and water and then they go into space and they fight and then an empire you follow up with like remember the desert movie Star Wars is all about desert how about freezing cold how about white freezing cold the exact opposite of desert and then we have Adats all right. And We go, do the callback. Remember, Adats white freezing cold. How do you feel about Adats in the tropics? It's, <laughs> they're they're they ping ponging back and forth from the how extreme can we? I mean, the only way they could have gone more extreme is Adats in space, which would make no sense, but well, it would be funny. Like,
0: those legs are just flailing around. <laughs> they Whoa. just kick their they just kick their little legs yeah. and not, we nothing. We do we happens. do see
3: Adats flown in in Star Wars Rebels on a on a carrier, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but I I love the Return of the Adats. It looks it looks so good. Um, the, the fact that we've got depth of fields here and you see sort of the, the Adats in the distance and they're, uh, obscured by haze, you've got that giant, uh, that giant signal dish standing up next. So you get a sense of scale and especially being down with Felicity Jones and the, uh, presumably the rest of the rebels, you really get a sense even more so, I think, than an empire of just how massive the Adats are in comparison to humans. Right, in, and, and how,
1: how much
2: stripped in, they are, right? Like
1: you—you you have a big yeah. problem because you're looking. You have at a the, gun. <laughs> seven stories of of angry adad, yeah. ad, and you're running around in the sand. I love the big splashes from their feet. Again, another thing you couldn't do, mm-hmm. you know, with the stop motion and snow. You can get, but here it's like, oh, we got computers. Guess what? When an ad it takes a step, it makes a big splash, and then yeah, they're all in—they're all in big trouble here.
2: was we discussed earlier, with like the fact that these are, you know because of the CG and the capabilities that we have there, these are better versions of our memory, right? Like right. the addats. if you go back and look, you know, they're, they're a little clunky, right? Because you're like, you're doing stop motion. So they're going to have certain restrictions. But because we can do CG sort of seamless stuff, they're like, we're mimicking the imperfections, as John was saying earlier, with the budget constraints, right? Like we're we're trying to evoke those imperfections because those are what made them stand out in our memory in many ways. So even though we can do perfect, you know, like note-perfect ad that would, like, not have any of the problems or imperfections or weird, like, you know, uh, rough edges that we would get from a model. Like, we have to sort of do things imperfectly.
1: Yeah, like, they have to have the clunky gait. Their legs have to move in kind of a herky-jerky slow. Like, they, they, they move so slow. You can't have these things, like, galloping across the, you know, they couldn't do that with the model. So the models had to move a little bit at slow, and these ones have to move exactly the same way. Only they're sharper and a little shinier.
2: This is before the rebels have discovered tow cables.
0: You don't know how this is resolved. Someone could run around them with a piece of string. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to say that one of the things that's great about having CGI... Of these, of these things is, in some ways, it's the, the inco- incidental use, use in the background of these things. You get the sense that, you know, we see like four or five of them here. Mm-hmm. But they're in the background, in different locations, at different distances, pointed in different directions. So you get some scale, like, oh, there are a lot of them, and they're all firing at people, and they're all doing this at once. And in Empire, you know, because of the cost... And because of the complexity, you know, what you would see of them would be really limited because it had they had to keep it simple. And then you use your imagination to fill in the gaps. And here you just get this moment of like, oh, my God, there are many walkers all doing different things. Some of them are close that we really need to walk out for. But there's also that one way back there and it's doing something, too. That's pretty cool. That's a really nice uh, advantage of having modern film technology for this stuff. Agreed. It's uh, it's fun to see that they're scary. Um, and they and it fires right by the camera. And then the last shot is uh, Felicity Jones again, and uh, <sighs> it lights up, and we we it looks like we're in a very Death Star kind of location, and she's wearing a Death Star uniform basically, and it's all black and shiny. And that's the last shot of the trailer.
2: Was it a Death Star uniform, or was it a it's a tie, fight, tie Fighter? Tie pilot. Fighter uniform? Yeah. Okay,
0: it's an Imperial. It's, it's
2: a... kind of it's kind of weird because it has on the back what almost look like sticks, like short swords, right? but like they're not right. Like they, but they are sort of like a weird industrial looking
0: thing. Shiny black metal, th- uh, you know, shiny I mean, black the, thing in the front. The, the Important is the big
1: the big you know Empire you know the, the insignia on her arm. Honestly, the, yeah. the whole previous part of the movie, we had seen her as being a rebel. She's one of the rebels. She's dressed in the rebel kind of way, which is dirty brown clothes, (laughs) and she's running around beating up the shiny stormtroopers, and here she's at the end. Uh, And, like, the voiceover is like, if you you do this, what, what will you become? Blah, blah, blah. I don't know what they're trying to tease that she could go over to the rebels or whatever because if her mission is to go and infiltrate and steal, surely at some point during the infiltrating she will have to dress. Uh, you know, you're know, you not going to get the Death Star plans out of Death Star, if that is indeed where they're held, without disguising yourself as part of the Empire. Um, and I
2: assumed it had to do with drawing. I mean, I guess kind of what I took away from that voiceover is like it's about drawing lines, right? It's about like, you know, the sort of classic hero trope of will you sink to the level of your enemies? Will you become yeah. your enemies you know, I, I took it as more metaphorical than necessarily literal that she is going to like, oh, maybe this is about her turning into a villain or something. I I don't think I don't know if we're ready for that in a Star Wars movie. Yes, we had like the whole Anakin Skywalker goes bad for three movies in really inexplicable ways. He's really angry. He's really something. I don't know. He's he's petulant. Um, but, you know, we all knew that was coming ahead of time. Right. And so I'm not sure if we're ready for like a movie where we're supposed to sympathize with this character who then it turns out to be evil or something that doesn't strike me as kind of a, it seems like an un Star Wars story for the rest of everything else that's been set up here, which is that this is very much like a, on a mission movie, right? Like this is, you know, someone who might have some questionable methods, you know, more of a Han Solo than a Luke Skywalker. Uh, but I don't think that I don't, it seems a little too, um, too foreshadowy in a weird way for me.
3: So I will float one idea which is I I've heard sort of bantered around and is curie, curiosity making for me is that I think it's very much an, an on a mission movie but there's nothing to say that there aren't casualties in the on the mission movies. Um, and there's nothing to say that she doesn't somehow get entrapped in the Empire. Um, when I watched this my first thought is was basically oh they are taking all of the seeds that, mara jade style characters dropped in the eu and they're putting it into a much more beneficial use uh and it's it may be oh well this might go for a dark place why are we doing this in an anthology film but there's also the possibility what if this character has connections to other characters in non-anthology films how how might that connect and wouldn't it be interesting if this character does have a history with the Empire. I,
0: I didn't understand a lot of what you said there because I don't know what the deal is with Mara Jade in the EU. So if you if, <laughs> if you could and, and I imagine a lot of other people don't either could
3: expound upon that
0: I, I just I don't know. Yeah, I don't get the reference. So so Mara,
3: Mara Jade Mara Jade in the EU uh, was a basically one of the one of the premier badass lady characters for sensitive um, but not super jedi ends up being uh is a smuggler for many years also ends up working directly for palpatine essentially as a as a not quite a jedi not quite a bounty hunter She's Um, the
2: emperor's hand yeah
3: yeah exactly it's like you say something like that the emperor's hand and people who probably haven't read the eu books are like i don't even know what that means uh but yeah uh,
0: he lost his hand
3: (laughs) yeah she goes around doing the, Empire, the emperor's dirty work, and I don't think that Jin is supposed to be a, a stand-in for for Mara Jade. Uh, I, she's very much her own character, but I wouldn't be surprised if they dip into some of her backstory to to build this character because it they have a wealth of it, and Mara Jade was a, a hugely beloved character. But I'm but less less so much of like again an exact one to one ideal, uh, and more hey, if we have, you know, this this strong female character uh, who might have some tinges of gray, and Gareth Edwards has already described this movie as very gray, um, the, the theory that I've heard popping around is, what if this is Ray's mother? Or what if this is someone in, in some way related to the main anthology films who does either go, not necessarily go dark, but this is a way, I don't know if this is just crazy out of left field, and it might be. But if this ends up being a, a, a turn to the dark side, whether Force or not is involved, this might be a way to ret- to tell the story they actually wanted to tell with episode three, um, but do it in a more nuanced and interesting way. Like someone's, someone's fall from gray to dark um, and, and with a character that we don't quite have so much capital H history over, but who may become relevant in this secondary trilogy. No, no. I, as I said, it may be way out of left field, but that's like having watched this trailer multiple times. I, I get the, I get a kind of eerie, off-putting feeling from it.
1: If they try, if they try to do that. And have have her follow that art. I would want to see her in more movies. Like, I wouldn't want this oh, to yeah. be the only movie that she's in. But if you're going to see her in more movies, like, they're not starting a parallel saga. These anthology no. movies are supposed to be, like, one of those and one of these. And they're in the universe. And so I have trouble believing that they're going to start down that path. I mean, just do they do another spin-off series and be like, Oh now, now this is the Jin story. Like, cause I don't think you can get that all out in a single movie where you introduce the character and bring them along that entire arc. I, I think all you can do in, in, a, in a single heist movie is have her be like, have, have the, the darkness be, uh, you're going to do your mission at all costs. What do you consider all costs? Like, Do you you know the the good guy thing is oh if some member of your of your ragtag crew gets injured like everything is about saving them and she could be ruthless and saying no the mission is what's important uh you know I have to go on I have to sacrifice you I'll do whatever it takes to get the mission done and that's the like oh are you becoming like your enemy what will you do to get this mission done how important is this how ruthless will you be is that why you were chosen this for this mission because you are the most ruthless person who is who won't be sentimental um you know because when she's staring into the camera at the, the last scene. She does. She looks pretty ruthless. Like she's not like, oh, well, I'm hiding. I'm in disguise. She looks ruthless. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. I agree with I agree with John. And I kind of hope that they don't necessarily go down the the Rey route. If only because I feel like I mean, as someone who's on record for also hoping that she's not like Luke Skywalker's daughter or whatever. It, it, again, it, what we talked about up front a little bit was like this is a gigantic universe, and yes, there are some like mythological forces at play that tend to bring these same families or characters into confluence once and again. But I feel like if you are doing an anthology and you are telling these different star Wars stories, in some ways it behooves you to acknowledge like, yeah, look, there's other things going on in this universe with other people who are not, you know, not, this is not just the story of the Skywalker family or, uh, you know, the related people. This is the story of a gigantic universe full of people and full of conflict and all these different players in this game. And so, Uh, in some ways it cheapens it for me if it's directly related to all those things. That said, I mean, you know, Hey, if that's the way they go, then and they can do it. Well, that's another thing entirely, but uh, I'm kind of intrigued to see since we have a star Wars movie, that's not directly like connected to the rest of the saga. Like, what does that look like? What does it look like when we're not necessarily, you know, telling this huge big story that's about like good and evil, light and dark in the most literal terms, but rather perhaps in more, uh, subtextual ways,
1: where everybody's related to each other and everybody's somebody's cousin <laughs> or nephew or whatever. Yeah like, yeah, like I was saying before we started recording, when I showed this trailer to my kids, my daughter and I explained like where this fits time-wise in the saga and everything. My daughter's first question was, "So where is she in New Hope?" Right? Because yeah. it makes sense if this is supposed to be right before a New Hope and she's the important person in this movie. Where? Why do I not see her in a New Hope? Right? You know, just and, and it's it's a sensible question. A sensible answer is she dies in this movie, fulfilling her mission, or something else, or she turns bad, or you know, like the practical answer is obvious, but the the story in universe explaining it to a young child answer is like, well, wait, yeah, where is she in a new over? She's super important. She did a good job for the rebels. Does she retire? Uh, having done her mission well, and just you know hangs out on the beach without the adats for for the for the duration of the other three movies, does she go bad and has NBC. to be defeated? You know, like yeah. So the, these these are all good questions. I I really think like it does depend on how these movies go. But with these anthology movies, with the exception of ones where you're like, I'm going to tell Boba Fett story or whatever, like we know what his deal is. But for these anthology movies that tell new stories. I feel like, especially because I don't, have no idea what the hell the plan is after Episode 9, any one of these anthology movies uh, can be blessed, I feel like, based on audience reaction and how good the movie is and how much more they think there is to tell to say, all right, we're going to do another trilogy, and it's going to be focusing on whatever the most popular anthology set of characters was, right? Because if you want to tell the story, like the, the Marriage Aid type story, that would make a great one. Um, mm-hmm. But that definitely has to be more than one movie because that's 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 like a, a traditional Star Wars three movie arc where you go somewhere with it.
0: I also i I want to say this, knowing full well that we are in the midst of a podcast that has spent an hour and fifteen minutes already analyzing a a, a less than two minute trailer, um, but. I would say I think it's overthinking it a little bit to to ask if she is a uh, betraying them at the end. I think it's very obvious that this is one of the things she has to do, and the the, the trailer wants to leave us with a little worry there. But this is this is very clearly in my mind her uh, going essentially posing as somebody in the Empire to do this job. And I think the interesting thing about where she is in uh, in Star Wars and thereafter is one of the things i find fascinating about this concept in general which is you know everybody could die at the end of this right and, and sacrifice mm-hmm. themselves in, mm-hmm. a, in a in a way that leads to the defeat of the uh, of of the uh, of the death star the explosion at the death star and i i think that makes that really raises the stakes uh and and it could be that you know the reason we don't see her in any of the other movies is that she doesn't make it out of this alive and uh and you know whether wherever she might be um and I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting thing.
2: And they're not bound by you know the kind of I think what we were talking about there is that they're not bound by this. The Star Wars story has always been like the the hero's journey story, right? Like there's a template for it. It's very like not cut and dried exactly, but like there is a pattern to it. And we're going off book now because we're doing a story that isn't necessarily about that traditional epic mythological hero's journey anymore. And so because I feel like, you know, in a hero's journey where everybody dies at the end, there's something grossly unsatisfying like that. But in a on a mission movie that takes place during a war. Yes, everyone can totally die like that's totally a thing. And that's Mm -hmm. not what we've grown to expect from Star Wars as like a brand. And that's what makes it so interesting to go off book in this way is can we tell a Star Wars story or a story set in the Star Wars universe? Um, that's not like a quote-unquote Star Wars story like what we've come to expect.
1: Yeah, you can do it as long as, because we know what happens after. So you can still kill everybody off. Like, oh, why the hell did we go see that movie? They, you know, yeah, they succeeded in their mission, but every character I cared about died. You just got to end on a scene where someone's, like, you know, handing it off to, like, Princess Leia, who you see from the back or something. The idea that they lead into, like, and everyone realizes that because they succeeded, therefore a new hope, right? And so you have, so you can have a hopeful note at the end showing how their work has made possible the rest of the saga um and you can't do that if people don't know like everything that comes after it so they have a lot of options to end this movie in a way that you could not end it if it really was like there were no other star wars movies you're just making one movie about it like a, a heist movie i mean maybe you could do it like in a quentin tarantino reservoir dog style but like a heist movie where everybody dies at the end is definitely not uh a star Wars type thing. And it's not even like a typical Hollywood type thing. And it, it's very sort of more art house, sort of nihilistic grim type of uh, stuff, but you can get, yeah. you can get away with it here though, because you know, it's going to turn out. Okay.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like that's another card in the, this might not, you know, I don't think things are going to turn out sunshine and roses. Cause you're infiltrating, a, <laughs> you know, the empire to go steal some plants. Uh, but I feel like it's a it's a good road to potential grayness to maybe people you know not everybody gets out alive but I don't think they're going to introduce their, hero, their heroine just to kill her I think something's something's happening to Jin we just don't know what I don't think that that shot is telling of her final future uh, but it's an it's a very interesting way to structure the trailer um, and. I I also think that the people who are looking at it just transparently being like, oh, well, Jyn's dressed as like Katniss Everdeen with black, black sleeves and she has like the glowing halo around her. So clearly they're trying to pull in the... The, you know, the Hunger Games franchise watchers. I, I feel like that's just a complete misnomer. <laughs> there's,
1: there's no connection to the Hunger Games. Yeah, Come on. I know. Hunger Games don't no. have don't have capsule-shaped lights on the walls. This is Star Wars. What are you
3: talking about? <laughs> Clearly. I think they're
1: just distracted by the fact that they see uh, a woman in, in an action movie, and the only template they have to go by is like, mm-hmm. has that ever happened before in the history of the universe? I guess the Hunger Games. Yeah, she's a Hunger Games group. <laughs> no. It, it, that's yeah. called, like, not enough data points for you to make any sort of oh, yeah about it
3: it's ridiculous i love that shot though it that is shot a, is beautiful it's a
0: beautiful shot it really is i i love it too um i love the i love the the star wars uh you know the bright lights and the uh the white lights and the and the that black sort kind of shiny black tube and the black reflections on the shiny parts of the uh the front of her uniform there it's just uh that's uh, that's that's a star wars art style that i really like
1: this is the reason why you have the workmen at Pinewood Studios build you, like, practical sets for these things, but uh, in this day and age, there's no reason they couldn't have done that all in CG. I mm-hmm. suppose. It's like Kylo Ren's helmet in The Force Awakens when he did the whole scene with, with Snoke with his with his helmet off, and they decided later and they, they would like see. his helmet on, and they just put his helmet on, and nobody noticed, yeah. including me. <laughs> so now they're at the point where they're fooling me, and so I'm like, well, all bets are off. Either way, awesome scene, whether it's,
0: <laughs> whether it's real or not. Oh, good, good, good grief. So... A Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, is, is re- revealed as the title at the end of this. Um, we're, we've reached the end of the trailer, so I'm interested to know your thoughts of, and anticipations about the movie, as well as this title, which is interesting that it's A Star Wars Story, a little I tale. Had a quick,
2: uh, I had a quick point on the music. Yes. Because uh, I always have to bring up the music. Well, no, um, and at
0: the end here, we get the, we get the two parts of uh, played simultaneously in like a piano. It's at the
2: beginning too, yeah. We so basically we get the force theme in a sort of a very slowed down piano, little bit my, a minor key. Yeah, yeah. and th- I think that's part of the reason you know people were talking on Twitter about this because I mentioned you know so Alexander Desplat, Despla, I think, uh, is the has the enviable task of following John Williams and scoring a star the first you know standalone live action Star Wars movie, uh, which is you know a big deal. Um, it's unclear whether or not he wrote this music, trailer music often done by other people. But um, people were going like, "Well, does this cheapen it to have like the force theme done with this? If this really isn't about like the Jedi and the Sith or whatever?" It's like, "Hey, well, we don't we don't know that. There could be a force sensitive person in here." Um, B. I think part of the reason they pick it is that it does feel like it. You can easily put it in that minor key, and it, it sounds more grim than say the main Star Wars theme if you were to put that in. Um, and it's generally just sort of the theme of the the good guys, right? Like. Yes, it has force associations with it, but it's it's primarily sort of the the heroicish theme in part. Um, so I think that's a really interesting choice, and it, it works obviously with the fact that this this is a very grim trailer in many ways. Um, but it also doesn't. It's a Star Wars music, and yet it does not entirely sound like a Star Wars theme, right? No big brassy orchestra here. How does
1: this movie open? Does it open with a crawl? Does it open with Star Wars and the theme?
0: It yeah, I don't know. I I. <laughs> I don't know. I would think so, I would, but I yeah.
1: I think no. I think you don't. I think you. I think you only open the 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 you know the saga the movies saga. with the crawl and that music. I think you have mm-hmm. to open this movie with something different. I don't know what the hell you do open it with, but yeah. that
0: is a bold choice. <laughs> well, you could open with the Star Wars, uh, you know, moving back into uh, into the distance and and like a fanfare. But maybe no, yeah, maybe no crawl. I don't know. Yeah, it, maybe,
2: it, maybe the um maybe the template is uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, which both hearken to that, but have their own slightly no, different
0: no, arrangements. No. yeah
2: um, and and Clone Wars has a very has a slightly different arrangement of the Star Wars theme and then often has like a quote, but no crawl, but it does do the like Star Wars logo that fades into the background. So I think maybe, maybe something like that where you kind of take it and twist it and make it your own. Yeah,, um, but I guessing that whatever the anthology movies are, they will be consistent to each other
1: yeah i feel like this movie can't start with the it can't start with a, the star wars theme because this trailer does not feel like a trailer for a movie that i would expect to start with that musical theme but regardless of whether there's a crawl regardless of whether the logo fades into the distance that theme is the star wars saga theme that fits perfectly on the force awakens but does not fit on a movie like the one that this trailer was for like i i, I think if they did it it would feel like forced or weird because they would do that and then that movie follows it it's not you know what i mean not that i'm saying it's not star wars but it's like how else do you differentiate anthology from like you know
2: the star wars story movies just to screw with us it's going to start with a 20th century fox fanfare
0: yeah they can still oh, use boy. that i think that's still fine well so what are the to wrap this up what are, what are your what are your expectations now having seen the trailer what are you thinking about this movie let's start with dan
2: well i'm on record as being a, a big fan of the on a mission movies and i wrote a little bit about this and cited the uh guns of navarone where eagles dare dirty dozen and i think a star wars movie that also plays in that sandbox to me just sounds awesome like that's the kind of thing i'd love to write is just a a you know purely sort of on a mission driven ragtag band of misfits. Um, And this this fits perfectly, I think. And I think it was one of the reasons they started with it, even though it does feel like a downer, is that that idea of of a plot works really well with Star Wars, especially with this particular story that they've pulled out here. So I, I, like John, I'm sort of curious as to how this looks like or does not look like a are the Star Wars movies that we've come to know so far. Uh, and I'm really intrigued by the prospect of a standalone Star Wars movie in which, you know, you're not going to have three movies to do all this heavy lifting. you got to do a lot of stuff, and you got to do it in like two and a half hours probably. Um, and so that sounds super interesting to me. I'm really looking forward to this. I really like that they've, uh, Lucasfilm, I think, has had a light touch on the marketing so far. We've had essentially one one officially released picture and a teaser and we're like not we're a little more more than six months out like can you imagine a star wars movie that you didn't know anything about until about six months out like that seems just impossible to believe in this day and age Mm -hmm. um so i like that i'm i'm sure we will see something else before it comes out but i would also be totally okay if we didn't like if this was all we got and then that movie opens in december i would be there on day one So uh, I'm you know, it doesn't take much to sell me on Star Wars, obviously, but I see nothing in this to sort of convince me that this will not be a movie that I enjoy.
0: Ren, what do you think?
3: I think that this is one of the better trailers that Star Wars uh, that the folks at Lucasfilm have cut in a while. Uh, It gives just the just enough information to make me really, really genuinely excited. And I think there's something a little bit different in this than the force awakens trailer and the force awakens has that sort of new star wars trilogy so much is riding on this where rogue one their cues to the past are much more subtle um in in the case of mon mothma it's a it's a very strange version of subtle an almost eerie version of subtle uh but it it feels a much more lived in universe. We don't get a lot of shiny new, we don't get uh we don't get things that we necessarily haven't seen before. Um instead we've get we've got this these grimy sets, right? We've got different uh stormtroopers, we've got new characters, but it feels very lived in. It feels very much like I don't know, like like you're sitting down to dinner with one with with a uh, with an old friend. It feels very episode 4. Uh, but not in a way, not in a, not in an homage way, just this is, it feels like we're just diving into Star Wars and telling a, a portion of the story. And that's, that's really exciting to me. I, I love tradition, like the original trilogy and heist movies are fantastic. Felicity Jones looks like she is going to be an incredible addition to the Lucasfilm actor stable. Uh, as as is Forrest Whitaker and uh, everyone else that they've cast. And, like, Dan, I hope that I actually don't see anything else besides walking to the theater. I cannot believe that we're so close to the movie actually coming out. We're, like, seven months, something like that. Um, and Marvel's going to release a prequel mir- miniseries in October, which I'm kind of like, I don't know if I want to read that before or after. But... Hmm. Uh, I feel I almost might be more excited for for Felicity Jones's character than I was for Ray, huh. which I'm a little shocked by. Just the the Gray characters interest me more.
0: Yeah, she's she's somebody with a history. Which makes her very different from Rey, who essentially has no mm-hmm. history, or at least no history that we've seen or are told about, or are really, uh, n- or is necessary to know about.
2: Our, our bland hero, right? Well, yeah, like Rey was very much like Luke in that way. Yeah, and
3: Jin is not no one. Yeah, yeah, she
2: feels like Han, like someone who's had some, you know, had some battles, won, won some, lost some.
0: Yeah, damaged, and uh, now has a job to do. So that's a very but, exciting thing. Go ahead, John. The thing about
2: Ray. Like I, I, feel like we're projecting
1: onto Ray that because she fits into the beginning part of Luke's story, we extrapolate and say, "Oh, and then she'll go through just what Luke went through and be triumphant in the end, the same way Luke was." But we have, realistically, we have no idea. So, so you know, I just put put that aside. That like it's so clearly like you know, our Luke here, but there's no reason they can't take in a different direction. Um. So for this movie, my my overall feeling is kind of like I had the same feeling at Force Awakens, but I feel it even more strongly here. Is that, uh. The trailer and all this stuff about it, like we look at it, and you know, our just our, our Star Wars centers just light up because it is just so. It looks so amazing. And I was saying it lo- it looks like we imagine Star. It looks like how how a New Hope looked in our imagination because everything is so sharp and beautiful and detailed, and like they don't have the budget limitations that they had back then, and we have this amazing technology, and we can. We can do anything within this universe. It's it's like it's like what you see in your head while reading a book about Star Wars because there's no there's no limitations anymore. You can do anything, um, but the people who make this movie have to. I I really hope they do. Uh, make it. As in a way that makes them forget that they were, you know, were starting out on third base because it's Star Wars. Like you've got X-Wings, you got the, you've got the Death Star, you've got Star Wars, you got, you've got all this stuff. Pretend you have to pretend you don't because this is why The Force Awakens works. It's because they, like, they used all of that stuff and they used it as well as they possibly could. But even if you strip all that away, it's still just plain, plain fundamentally a good movie. So if they just concentrate on making a good whatever kind of movie this is, if it's a heist movie, a spy movie, a movie about personal betrayal, a movie about like the darkness of combat, whatever movie they think they're making, pretend you don't have any Star Wars IP and make that a good movie, and then add Star Wars IP, and that's how you get something like The Force Awakens. It has to have a good script, it has to have good performances, the story has to make sense and be good, and then on top of that, it has to be Star Wars. And that's I think even more important for the anthology anthology films, these Star Wars stories is they have to be solid stories. And because they're not going to be like the you know the saga stories, they're going to be different kinds. So you know I think that's why it's a good idea to get all sorts of different uh, kinds of directors. And I just really hope that everybody involved like erases the star wars part of it in their mind when assessing you know like do we have a movie in the same way that like pixar is going to do everything in storyboards where you know it's it's just a bunch of drawings on paper you don't have any cg yet at all maybe you haven't even modeled anything you have to look at it in that form and say is this a good story now add all the cg and gloss and water effects and whatever else you're going to do because that doesn't make your movie so that's my hope for this movie because if if i watch it and it, it's like, and I say, if this wasn't Star Wars, would you think this was a good movie, or just think it's so-so? That will be disappointing. Not that disappointing because again, it's, it's an anthology movie, and I, I give them wide latitude to do you know interesting things. But um, I just want this to be a good movie in whatever genre they want it to be. Uh, and then if it's Star Wars on top of that, I will just be overjoyed.
0: Yeah, i I feel like that. Uh, I feel like that too. I, I'm encouraged by the trailer and. Like you said earlier, the pressure's off a little bit about Star Wars because Force Awakens was good, and uh, I do I do want to ask. Uh, because people in the chat room are actually asking this, John, media blackout policy for this? Because the pressure's off, do you not care about like seeing a full trailer when it drops in a few months, or uh, do you have a, have you set your policy for this one? Well, I think I think people
1: forget. Like I, I watched the first two teasers for The Force Awakens as well. Like I just didn't watch the trailer, and I'm glad I didn't watch the trailer. Oh, that trailer, the, the final, the real official Force Awakens trailer, I think is a fabulous trailer, and I'm glad I didn't watch it because it it ruined just a little bit too much stuff for me. But in many respects, I, you know, I know what happens in this movie. I know I know they're going to get the plans at the end. And I'm assuming the trailer is not going to ruin, like, oh, if you watch the last trailer, you find out she dies in the end. Like, they're not going to ruin that. Right? <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm not going to say whether I'm going to watch the final trailer or not. But certainly I, if they released another teaser labeled as a teaser, I would watch it. But I think I'll probably chicken out and not actually watch the trailer trailer, especially with so little time to go. I'll just I'll just stay strong. But yeah. um, I watched this one. I didn't even hesitate watching this one. And I think I would watch a second teaser as well. Everything else, though, I'm not going to seek out information. I'm not reading the Internet. I'm not trying to find out. I found out what happens to Jin. No, I don't I don't want to
0: know. You should you should stay off the Internet between now and December. So eight months, December. This movie comes out in December. Another Star Wars movie. Feels like we just had one because we just did I got <laughs> another one. Here it comes. So All right. I think that uh, I think that does it. For this, uh, why not go into a second hour? No, we're not going to do it. Frame-by-frame uh, frame frame trailer analysis of uh, of Star Wars, uh, of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I'd like to thank my guests for joining me to do this analysis. Dan Morin, calling in from far off lands. Thanks for being here.
2: Uh, my pleasure. And I guess I'll see you guys in December.
0: Live long and prosper. No, no, Jason. <laughs> Serenity Caldwell, thank you.
3: Thank you very much. And what will you become in this weight jason what will you become
0: mm, that's a good question i might become an ad at on a on a mm. sandy beach
3: pew pew just getting some sun
2: sipping a drink with an umbrella in it
0: yeah that's right i'm sure there's a, a pun to be made there but i'm not gonna make it john syracuse thank you for being here
2: the force will be with you
1: always but not necessarily with anyone in this movie we can't really tell yet it's too early to tell
0: okay thanks to everybody out there for listening to this impromptu trailer analysis edition of the incomparable we will see you next time